Hey, isn't it a Merry Christmas? Isn't it great? Christmas is like it has this promise of happiness and tinsel and joy and hope. And, and so in our minds, when we think about the Christmas day, I don't, it's in our minds. It's not always reality. But in our minds, I mean, that day is going to be great. I mean, family is going to be together and we're going to be happy. And, and uh, there's going to be snow softly falling to the ground. Uh, we're all going to get what we want and life is going to be great. It's going to be this kind of holly jolly thing that's going to happen. Um, but our reality rarely plays out that way. Um, if there, if there may be a few moments of that, and, but it doesn't take long into January for that, that hope to be dashed upon, uh, the, upon reality and to realize that uh, what was this hope and what was this joy, what was this expectancy became really disappointment, if not depression. And, and Merry Christmas, by the way. And so we, but what, happens is, what happens is that really the, our lives could look this way. Like we, we, we hope in these things, that we have these expectations that something's going to happen. And then we experience it and it doesn't feel the way that we thought it would feel. It doesn't taste the way we thought it would taste. It doesn't sound the way that we thought it would sound, and, and, the, and the truth is, is it, it, it stems from this misplaced hope. And, and really what Advent's about, Advent is, is helping us, um, gives us this opportunity to guard against misplaced hope by, by focusing our attention upon the one true hope that is Jesus Christ, by looking back at his first coming to give us faith and expectancy as hope for his, his coming that's yet to be. And in the meantime, we're waiting. We get to wait. And by you, I don't like waiting. I'm not, I'm not the, I'm not, I know patience is a virtue. It's just not one of mine. And so we, uh, I'm the guy looking for the shorter line. I'm, 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 I pay at the pump. I bag my own groceries. I weave in and out of traffic, even though I know it doesn't make any difference. It, you know, don't judge me. Don't take away my prerogative. That's just, I, I'm that way. So all of my nightmares include the, the DMV. They include traffic. Uh, they, they, they include rain delays. Uh, they include anything that would cause me to sit and wait. And yet that's what Advent's about. Advent is about waiting to have this focused attention upon what is coming, not what is in front of us. And the truth be told, um, it's hard for us to wait. It's uncomfortable for us to wait. It can cause us to question. It can cause us to be confused. It can cause us to lose our sense of purpose. I mean, I'm on a date the other night with, with my wife, and the food comes late, right? Which is not which is totally unacceptable. And it's not just a little bit late, it's a lot of bit late, and I'm beginning to... And so all of a sudden, my attention and my focus is about the meal that's late, and why is this late, and can I do anything to make it come when it's supposed to be come? And it's distracting me from the main point, which is to connect with my wife. I mean, the reality is, if I'm seeing it right... The food not coming is just an opportunity for me to connect all the more. Can I get a high-pitched amen on that one? And so we, um, so the reality, though, is so I can lose my focus in that moment because I, I, I'm paying attention to the sideshow, which is the food, when the main act is my wife. And the same is true for us in this period. It's like we can get, we in our impatience, we can lose sight on what is true, what is right, what is the main point and we need reminders and that's what Peter's coming he's reminding us to why hey we need to give our attention to this second coming of Jesus people scoff at the idea of the second coming and I use the word scoff not because I use it every day because it's in the Bible and you'll, you'll show here second Peter this is before the advent verses we read for a few verses, for a few verses before 
He says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day with their scoffing. Because that's what scoffers do. They scoff. Players play, haters hate, scoffers scoff. <laughs> and they, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise coming? Hey, you, know, you say this was going to come, but it's not coming. And so I read this, saw this bumper sticker the other day. It said, Jesus is coming quick. Everybody look busy. And everyone sees the second coming of Jesus as kind of, it's like this joke. It's like, you know, you're, it's, it's not really happening. It's a bit of a joke. And, and that scoffing, though, isn't just at the idea of a second coming, but the scoffing actually ends up being directed at those who believe in a second coming. Like we're, and we end up feeling like the, you know, like the crazy mom on Stranger Things with Christmas lights everywhere, trying to convince every people that the son is out there somewhere. And he was out there. Peter warned that there'd be scoffers. So did the other apostles and so did Jesus. In fact, Jesus, more than Peter, more than the other apostles, he talked about the second coming uh, judgment day more than anyone else. And so really to reject and scoff at this idea um, is really to reject and scoff at Jesus. And I hope that we, but there's a resource for us in the second coming of Jesus. Believing in this Acting as though it exists, anticipating it, taking the time to... There's a resource in it. Because he didn't have to tell us it was coming. He could have just said, or he could have not said anything. He could have just said, hey, here I am. Whenever he decides to come back. But he warned us of this. And there's a reason why he warned us. And there's a resource if we're willing to look into it. So what is the resource? What is the good that comes from the second coming? Well, the first one may be a little bit obvious because it's a warning. The second coming, this news of Judgment Day, is a warning for those who do not yet believe. Judgment Day is a warning for those who do not yet believe. Most people, including Christians, view Jesus as harmless and benign. You know, he is like some hitchhiking hippie who walked around sharing wise sayings, but, you know, he's a likable guy, but you can ignore him. And Christmas, it's even worse because, you know, he's like he's a baby and, you know, a manger and he doesn't say anything. He's just. So we don't really think of Jesus as being someone that we need to respect. Someone that we need to pay attention to. But check out what a second coming is going to be like. In Revelation 19, it says this. And then I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And his mouth comes a sharp sword, which which he strikes down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's a little different, and then you will find him wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's a little bit different. The first coming of Jesus was quiet. Little night in Bethlehem. This next one will be loud. The first one, he he came in weakness. The second one, he'll come in strength. In the first coming of Jesus, he came to save. The second one, he'll come to judge. The first coming was sweet and inviting and and tinsel and gifts and merriness. The second will be sudden 
and terrifying. So terrifying that other parts of Scripture says that people will run to the mountains, but the mountains themselves will flee from the Lord. Like, how bad is it going to be that the mountains, like, we got to get out of here? There's, you, on that day, you cannot run to the mountains. You, and, and in this day, you cannot run to your careers. You cannot run to your relationship. You cannot run to your interests. You cannot run to anything. The only place to run, to hide from this, is Christ himself. It's a warning for those who do not yet believe. We live right now in the season between the two advents, the first coming and the second coming. And in this season is a season of grace and mercy where the invitation for forgiveness is to come and experience. Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and laden, and I will give you rest. Because there is a moment There is a moment when this invitation ceases to exist and he will rip open the skies and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Now this warning is muted by the fact that it's taken a little while. Right? So if if even uh, Peter in this passage had to defend the fact that it had taken 30 years. People are like, hey, you said it was going to come any day now, but it's been 30 years. Well, you and I are dealing with 2,000 years, right? So if 2,000 is quickly, you and I need to talk about the definition of quickly. And I think that's just it because, you know, you and I, we live with this. I mean, for you, I'm, I'm, I, I see one day bleeding into the next. I don't, I don't appropriate myself. I'm not dialed into his return like I think the scriptures. Tell me I should be dialed in. So this is a, a warning for me because Jesus said it's going to be like any other day and it's going to come suddenly and quickly. Let me show you what he says in Matthew 24. He says, for as we're in the days of Noah, so will be the days of coming of man. I mean, everybody knows about Noah, but what happened is he, Noah built the boat, right? And then it didn't rain for 120, day, 120 years. Ah, what are you talking about? There's going to be a flood. And then the rain came and it was too late. For as in these days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in a marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Jesus said that we'll all be living our lives like nothing is going to happen until one day it happens. And the closest thing, the closest analogy I can come up with is September 11, 2001. It was like any other day. I don't know. I mean, some of you who were around, I mean, I'm looking at some people and you're like, September 11, what's that? Um, it was a big day in American history. Uh, stay in school. And so we... Uh, on that day, I woke up and I went down. I drove down to see a client in Dexon, Missouri. I was a financial advisor, and um, I was going down to hang out with him and talk about um, his portfolio, which was going to be awesome. And so we we went down there. I went down there to talk, and I'm, I'm listening to the radio. I'm listening to some sports, you know, sportscast. And all of a sudden, I hear that like, oh, a, a plane had hit one of the towers, and I hadn't really. I I just they didn't really say what kind of plane, and I was thinking, oh. Some guy tried to pull some stunt and try to draw, you know, fly in between the towers and, you know, maybe some like late, you know, Letterman trick or something. I don't know, like something, you know, why would they ever let a plane fly near a big city like that? That's, but then I, um, sometime later, there's a report that a second plane had hit and then they just cut all broadcast. And I was, everybody in America was glued to the radio, the TV whatever they can get a hold of. And, you know, I get out my cell phone, you know, because, you know, cell phones had antennas back then. Call my wife, you know, like, are you hearing this? Are you seeing this? What's happening in St. Louis? 
what's going on. And so I go down and I meet my client. We just sat there in his office. We didn't talk about his portfolio. We, talk, we just watched that day. It was going to be like any other day except that it wasn't. So will be the coming of man. You will get up and you will brush your teeth. You will go to work. You will send your kids off to school. You will go to school. And he will come like a thief in the night. And he will tear open the skies with all the majesty of God. And Peter gives us some reasons why it feels like it's taking too long. That's I think are worth exploring. First of all, Second Peter three um, eight says, "But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day." Uh, if something's fast or slow is a matter of perspective. So if, if you uh, you know if you've got a six year old, if you've got little kids, I mean, s- summer is a lifetime. Like that is a it is a long, long time. And typically, the younger you are, the more time moves slowly. The older you get, man, time flies. I'm looking at my daughter yesterday. She's 13 years old. And I'm saying, it was just yesterday that I held her in my arms. Man, how time flies. Time, whether it goes fast or slow, is a matter of perspective. And I doubt I'm, not the, I'm, doubt I'm the only parent uh, who's got to, like, you know, talk their kids off the cliff like, it's only two weeks until you can open the present. I mean, they just think, like, you are just unnecessary. It is, it is cruel, unusual punishment to wait two weeks for something that's free. I mean, reasonable people know, like, man, it's, free, it's a free gift. I mean, what's two weeks? You're going to get... It's a matter of perspective. To children, it's unnecessarily and cruel... So fast and slow differ between parents and kids. How much more does it differ between us who are finite and he who is infinite? I mean, what's a thousand years to, some, to someone who's in... I mean, he's not in time. Like, you and I are in time. Like, we... Time, we're... Everything with us is a reference to time. You know, what time does it start? What time does it end? What time does it kick off? What time... Uh, what, you know, how long of a time? When, when do you want to meet? We are trapped in this world of time. He is not. He is outside of time, which I know is trippy to think about. But he's outside of time. What's a thousand years in relation to eternity? What's a million years in relation to eternity? Much less a lifetime. So the first thing, Peter, he's just appealing to our intellect. It's like it's just, you know, it's a matter of perspective. So you cool your jets. But then he says there's even a better reason. Second Peter Three nine, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise. See, we think He's slow. He's not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, matter of perspective. But He's patient. He's not slow. He's patient. Why is He patient? He's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. For those of us, and we've seen your baptism videos, for those of us who have, who've come to Christ in the last few years, aren't you glad he didn't come back in 2005? For some of you, you're going to be glad that he didn't come back in 2017, if he doesn't come back in 2017, by the way. He's not being slow. He's not falling asleep at the job. He is right now He's all over the world. He is saving. He is rescuing. His wrath is being intentionally held back as his glory spreads throughout the earth. He's saving people. And I know it's hard for us. Some, and, and I know 
Because some of us are dealing with the difficulty of the pain that we see in this world, the injustice that we see in this world, the violence, the hatred, the disease, the racism, the abuse, the pain, the suffering. God's just up there. He's just aloof. He doesn't care. And the martyrs, I mean, it may help you to know the martyrs are asking the same question. Check out what there's, that right now they're saying this. They're crying out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They can't take it anymore. They want God to exact his judgment. How could God just sit back and do nothing? But he's not apathetic. He is saving. He is not slow. He is patient. He is holding back heaven. He is holding back his wrath to give people one more chance. Because when he comes, make no mistake, his justice will be fair, it will be swift, and it will be thorough. And I just got to ask you, are you ready for that kind of justice? I know we want justice to happen to other people. But do we want justice to happen to us? Because if God was to get rid of all the evil, I mean all the evil, not just the evil you see, but all the evil, will you be left if he gets rid of all of it? You know, it's natural to compare ourselves to others. And... You know, especially like with TV and internet. I mean, you can always find some fool who's like worse than you. When you compare yourself, I mean, you may not be in the top 10%, but there's somebody. Uh, at least I'm not like that. At least I don't do this. And so we live in this illusion, this imaginary world that we're the good guy, that we're the good girl, and, and, and it's everyone else who is the problem. But what if, what if, what if, what if? What if the standard isn't the guy on social media? It's not the guy on TV. It's not your neighbor. What if the standard good and bad, was no other than God himself, perfect and blameless in every way. Are you ready for that standard? No, you say? Well, that's why he's waiting. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for those you love that have yet to come to him. Well, what is he waiting for? Is he waiting for us to get our act together? Is that what it says? Go back to uh, verse 9 with me. It says, the Lord is not slow... To fulfill his promise, but he's patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He doesn't. He's not waiting around for us to get our act together. Like, man, when these people, these people, you know, I'd love to come down, but like, they they could just get their act together. If he was waiting for us to get our act together, he'd be waiting a very, very long time. He's not waiting for us to get our act together. He's waiting for us to repent. He's waiting for us to admit that we're not just victims of injustice, but we are perpetrators of injustice. He's waiting for you to stop trusting yourself and to start trusting him. And let me just say this. If in your heart that's what you can say, like, hey, look, I'm not trusting in what I've done. I'm not trusting in myself, but I'm not running to a mountain. I'm not running to my job. I'm not running to a career. I'm not running to any of those things. I am running. I am putting my trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. You have nothing to worry about. In fact, we'll talk about here in a minute that actually it's something you just don't have anything to worry about, that you should yearn for the day of Christ's return. The issue this morning isn't, are you a good person or a bad person? Because in light of Jesus, we are all bad. None pass that test. 
There is not one good, no, not one. The only thing standing between your eternal security and the hope and the peace and the joy and all the, th- the justice that you want, the only thing standing between you and that kind of security is not an arbitrary list of what's good and bad. It's not some moral code. It's not some extensive set of religious practices. The only thing standing between you and that kind of security is your own pride. Will you bow a knee today for your salvation? Or will you be forced to the ground on that day in your humiliation? The second coming of Jesus... I mean, Christmas, presents, all that is a warning to those who don't yet believe. He's not slow or indifferent to the pain in this world. In fact, the Bible says that he's got every single one of your tears in a bottle. He is aware of every single tear. And he weeps with us. He's not indifferent. He's not indifferent to the injustice in the world. He became a victim of injustice to this world when he bled and died on a cross. The martyrs right now crying out for vengeance, crying out, well, why is he waiting? He's waiting for you. He's not slow. He's patient. So it's a warning for those who do not yet believe. And it's meant to be a comfort and a reminder to those who do believe. If you are someone who wants to fight for justice, I've got the, the, the day of the Lord's judgment is going to be a great day for you. If you believe. First, let me just say, like, we all have a sense of, of justice. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's deep within the human psyche. I mean, if you got kids, I mean, my kids, I mean, if there's just like 10% more ice cream in this scoop than this scoop, that is not fair. Someone cuts you off in traffic. What do you, what do you, that's why you have horns on our cars, because we want fairness and justice. It runs deep in the human psyche. So there's three possibilities when you face injustice in the world. When you read about it in the paper, when you see it, when you experience it. One is you can kill that part of you that wants justice. You can just harden your heart, believe, pretend like it doesn't even exist. Just become callous to the, to the ways of the world. Secondly, you can just like become an activist and just like throw yourself into it. And, and, and you'll, you know, just desperately throw yourself into that until you burn out, usually like at the age 22. Or you can believe in the, ju- in the doctrine of judgment day. That someday an impartial judge will right every wrong. He will correct He'll dot every I and cross every T. He will not leave one thing unjust anymore on that day. He will fix it. Because of that judgment day, it should motivate us and like sharpen us and fill us with passion to want justice because that's what he's coming to bring. We should not be those who are apathetic about injustice in the world. Nor should we be anxious and like over the top when it doesn't happen because we know that it will happen. 
We're not worried about whether or not justice will happen because we know that it will. It's just a matter of time. So on the one hand, it's going to cause us to fight for it all the more. We're, not going, to, we're, we're going to want it even more than we ever have. But yet, we're going to have this peace and calmness about the injustice that we see. We're not confused. We know that we have a Father in Heaven who loves us, and we know we're coming, He's coming back. We're, we're not, we're not, we're not, we don't, we're, we're, we see the script. We know how this is going to play out. So we don't have to be given to despair. This is huge. This is really important. Because there's two massive temptations for us to fall into. One is that you can over-listen to conservative commentators and your response to injustice is that it doesn't exist. The world is fair. It's a free market. You know, you reap what you sow. So there isn't racism. There's no inequitable distribution of resources. There is no injustice. If you over-listen to conservative commentators. If you over-listen to liberal commentators you'll begin to walk around like a judge. And you won't just want justice, you'll want revenge. It will cause you to get angry. You want to stick it to the man. So you can listen to them or you can listen to your Bible. The Bible says that the injustice is not imaginary. In fact, often you see Jesus pointing, putting a magnifying glass on the hurting and the broken of this world. The oppressed the widow, the orphaned, the marginalized, the foreigner, the stranger, the poor. How you treat the poor is how you treat me. So he's, he's pressing on his people to care and care more than they do. And yet, the Christian is someone who also realizes they don't have the wisdom or the power to stand in judgment. And when it happens the way that they don't think it should happen, they, they can give it to God. They can give it to God. This is his burden. This is, my, this is not my burden. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He's the only one who can bring ultimate justice. So when you face injustice, you can either relate to conservative thinking and act like it doesn't exist. Or you can over-relate to liberal thinking and take the place of a judge. Or you can relate to the thinking of Christ and both care and work toward justice, but leave the swinging of the gavel to God. Now that everybody's offended, let me just move on to my next point. Here's the real deal. There's a call for us to live differently. Look at, if you look at verse 9 and 10, it, it calls, this, this kind of like messed with me last week. He, Peter calls this, in other places in the Bible, you see this, it calls judgment day the day of the Lord. Like when you think about what is the essence of this day, the essence of this day is that it's the Lord's day. Now, we've all, we've all used that phrase, oh, it's, it's their day, right? You know, and I've done a few weddings in my time, and on that wedding day, it's, it's, it's her day. It's her, it's her day, and don't let anyone tell you. I mean, there's like people wearing matching dresses because it's her day. And, and we're, she's the main character. We are the supporting cast. Our schedule's around her schedule. Our finances are around. I mean, it's all, it's, it's her day. That day will be his day. You know, I don't know if you ever watched the West Wing, West Wing when it was out. You know, some, you know it's on Netflix. The, that, the way that show started out was that 
Rob Lowe, he was like one of the assistant to the prince, to not the principal, to the, to the president. And um, he, was, he was supposed to be like the central character of the show. And actually, the president, played by Martin Sheen, was just like, a, in fact, he was only signed to four shows. He was supposed to be like a, a secondary player. And like they were just kind of show him coming in and out. And what they realized and through as, as people began to watch the show, that actually Martin Sheen needed to be the main character. And Rob Lowe became the supporting cast. And so the, sh- the show once revolved around Rob, and now it revolved around Martin Sheen, and the show was better for it. That is a metaphor for how your life and my life should be when we come t- to Christ. Is that we come into this thinking like we're the main character. And we look at our script, and maybe God can help us be a better us. But what we realize, when you, when you enter into this walk with Christ, what you soon realize that the, the real way that this works out is that he becomes the main character and you become the supporting cast. In fact, the more, the more you diminish yourself and the more you allow him to increase, the better off. Jesus would say things like, if you really want the most out of life, you've got to learn to lose your life. If you want to find it, lose it. If you want to live, die. And the more that you take that secondary role, the more you put him at the center, the better things will be. Because you know the, the reason for your sadness is you are a terrible leader of your life. Your own sin has caused you to go down a path of pain. And it's your sin and the collective sin of the world is the reason why the, the people are not not nice. And there's injustice and pain and suffering. And all the things that ails this world right here, right now, is because of our sin, the fact that we wanted to be the main character because that was the lie in the garden. The lie in the garden is you don't have to be a supporting character. You can be the main one. And that's the mess that we are in the first place. But on that day, on that day, it'll be his day. On that day, he will take his rightful place and everything will sink into place. So you and I, Christ follower, if we know that the ultimate way to live life, the ultimate day, the best day that there'll ever be from then and into eternity is the day that Jesus Christ takes his rightful place as the main character, that it's his day. And we, we all, whether we like it or not, bow the knee, every tongue confessed, every knee will bow, everyone will say that Jesus is Lord on that day. On that day, he becomes the main character he was always meant to be. And we all, so we can right now, we can position our lives to make that right now. We can, we can make heaven happen now by making him the main character of our life. That's why Peter says, what sort of people ought you to be, but to live lives of holiness and godliness. There's two people, kinds of people, people who yearn for judgment day, who see that the problem is within them. And want him to come and pluck it out. But for others, their greatest fears will be realized because they realize they're, they're not really in control and they're not the center. But he'll have his day. The last time you saw him, he was a baby. The next time, he'll be a king. The last time he came riding on a colt, this time he'll be riding on a cloud. The last time he was beaten and bloody, his eyes fallen shut, His flesh ripped, waving in the wind like a ribbon. The next time, he'll come and every eye will see him. He'll be shining bright as 10,000 suns. 
on that day, it'll be his day. And the way that you and I respond to that is that we live lives of holiness and godliness. Not, not this kind of like uppity, I'm better than you kind of a thing, but we live lives set apart. Holiness just means to be set apart for a purpose. We realize that we're not, the purpose isn't us, but the purpose is him. And we live for him. So we put him at the center. That's what it means to live a holy life, is you put him at the center and you take your rightful place, the better place as a supporting cast. And if you're like me, you need help with that. Like, I don't have a 360 view of myself. I get off track. I get lazy. Sinful, sinful thoughts and action creep up on me. I want life to be about me. I want to be the main character at times. So I need people to do what the writer of Hebrews talks about in chapter 10 when he says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another And all the more, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So here's what he's saying. If you see the day coming, like, man, his day is, we don't know when it's coming, but I just know it's going to be sooner than it was yesterday. That's all I know. And every day that passes, I want to more and more, I need to stir up myself and I need to stir up those around me to love and good deeds. Because we're going to wander. We're going to grow, some of us are going to grow apathetic about the hurting In this world, we're going to grow apathetic about people knowing Jesus, and we need to be stirred up in our faith for that. And some of us are are going to like we're going to have this we're going to be have this overrealized eschatology, which simply means that we we think heaven should be right now and it's not, and we're wondering why it's not. So we give into despair and anger and bitterness, and we need people to come to stir us up and say, "Man, he's coming back. Stay with me." Let's, let's, let's stir each other up to love and good deeds. And so I know it's tough. I know it's inconvenient. Groups and gathering together and meeting each other for coffee to stir each other up, to love each other, to be in each other's lives. You know, we come to church and we experience something like what we're experiencing now for, I mean, let's be honest, pretty trite reasons. We, you know, you like the worship style. You thought I was funny. You liked the kids' program. You thought it was convenient. Um, and I hope those things are true, and those aren't bad things. But what if, what if, what if, what if, the, what if what held us together, what if the motif, what if the way that we solve Jubilee Church is a community of people linking arm in arm, white arms with black arms, young arms with old arms, rich arms with poor arms, Democratic arms with Republican arms. And what defined us, what motivated us, what stirred our heart weren't these secondary things that tend to take the primary place. But it's actually the fact that Jesus Christ is true. He's not a liar. He's coming back. He loves to save. And we can link arm in arm as we go out and march into this city to see people one for Christ. I need you to stir me up to love my neighbor. I need you to stir me up to love those that I know who do not know him yet. And you need me to do the same to you. And we all need that that together. He's made us like a big fishing net to throw out into the subcultures of this world. There's a window. There's a window open. He's not slow. He's not apathetic. He's not oblivious to the pain in this world. He is not slow. He is patient. Because when that door shuts, 
there'll be no more opportunity. But today, in this moment, right here, right now, there is opportunity. Opportunity.